Hello and welcome to episode 145 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can follow me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Joining me once again is the magnificent League Freak. You can find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going good so far. How are you? I'm I'm splendid. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> um, so we're going to break our, our our brief coronavirus no zone because mm. we, we we've come up with a bit of an idea, and that and think, is you, you know what this idea goes back to what we always talked about. This podcast would be hey, that's right. Um, which is looking at something from the past and how how it's linked to the game today. Exactly. Given context to modern day events. You only get that here. Yeah, nowhere else. So there's been a bit of talk about it. So we're gonna we're gonna just gonna dive right in. Bit of history, bit of real you know, real real time stuff is all at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna look at how rugby league responded to the Spanish flu that which hit Australia in nineteen nineteen. So I suppose a bit of background. The, the Spanish flu began in 1918. Um, now, there was a bit of censorship going on after World War One in most of the Allied and Axis countries. So it's hard to actually pick out where the Spanish flu began. And it, it's got its name because the first country that got hit by it was Spain. And it was after the um, king of Spain fell fell ill to the uh, to the virus. So it sort of just got its name from that because Spain was the first one to properly report on it. Um, a lot of it was transferred around the world through return servicemen going back home after the war ended and stuff like that. And that's pretty much how it got into Australia. So in January of 20, 1920, uh, sorry, January 22 and 1919, uh, a serviceman was on a ship in Melbourne Getting, going on a journey back to Sydney. He was with another passenger. Not too sure who the other passenger was, but he was very ill at the time. Um, after the two days on the ship, uh, they got off in Sydney. The passenger was very ill, had high temperature, um, yeah, had headaches and all that sort of stuff. And this soldier fell ill with exactly the same condition. He checked himself into a hospital. The three nurses who treated him all fell ill with exactly the same illness. In the three days after he landed in Sydney, he then got diagnosed with having the Spanish flu. So in the space of five days, this this soldier who's returned home has gone from being healthy to fully infected, and he's travelled from Melbourne to Sydney via a boat. And this becomes like the first, I, I guess the first modern-day pandemic and they knew what was going on over in Europe. Um, they knew how hard it was hitting. And so when they realised they had it here, I mean, it, it must just have been terrifying. Exactly, because I don't think... Because there'd been very little talk about it in the media, mm. um, there would have been no idea what, I suppose, if there was any different symptoms, um, how aggressive it was, how quickly it spread, how it spread. Um, how to treat it, how to avoid it, that sort of thing. So a lot of it was just guesswork at the time. Um, the New South Wales state government, though, were pretty quick in jumping into action. So the day after, this soldier and the, the nurses 
were, were found to have been suffering from the Spanish flu. They decided to shut down all libraries, schools, churches, theatres, public halls and places of indoor resort for public entertainment. Two days after that, on January 30, they also said that everyone was required to wear masks covering their mouth and nose. The congregation of people in public spaces was disallowed. Restrictions were placed on crossing the border between Victoria and New South Wales. And initially, this was... Obviously, a lot of these um, bands and stuff like that were put in place in Sydney only because that was a place that was hard to sit. Mm -hmm. But they ended up going to the whole state after a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got some stats just on how... um, I suppose how how deadly this this virus was. Globally, half a billion people got infected with it, um, and approximately a hundred million of those people died from it. Yeah, it was, uh, and uh, like for before everyone that's listening freaks out, it was way, way, way more deadly than the current uh, coronavirus is. But it's just like you have to give those stats to show what this pandemic was like and how devastating it was at the time. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard historians talk about it. And one of the th- features about this virus was that the sickest people, it was the first time in history that they were moved on mass to hospitals. Um, and they feel as though that's one of the reasons why it spread so quickly because usually in, in the past when there'd been a pandemic, the sickest people normally would stay at home and die because they, they couldn't be moved. They weren't moving around. But we got to a point in human history where we had ambulances, we had big hospitals, we had the ability to try and save people. And that was one of the reasons why this pandemic, um, it, it moved around the world so quickly. That's exactly right, and it was so aggressive. Yeah. Um, so, at the time, um, around about 25% of the global population had been infected with the Spanish flu, which is just insane. Mm. Um, it lasted in Australia for nine months. It killed around 6,400 people in New South Wales alone. Um Infected nearly 300,000 people in Sydney, and of those, 3,902 died. Far out. And weren't you, I think you said before we started the podcast, because we talked a little bit about this, the population of Sydney was about 800,000? Yeah, about eight, I think it was about 890,000. So it was just, uh, just better than one, one in every three got, the, got infected. That's incredible. Um, just, it moved so quickly. It was insane. Mm. Um, so the interesting thing here is the a medical council was set up to try and I suppose come to grips with it and how to inform the public on what they should do to try and avoid it how to cope with it when they do get it that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, but one of their solutions that they said here to help try and prevent it was fresh air and they said that was the best natural resistance to the flu and they encouraged outdoor activity, provided it was away from crowds. Now, that's interesting because I wonder if they did a thing in China with the current coronavirus where if you were diagnosed with it, they would put you into giant 
hospital camps, basically. And one of the things they did in these camps is they put on dancing lessons and they wanted everyone to get up and dance and they said it would help you. But what it actually was that anybody that wasn't well enough to get up and dance, they obviously weren't getting up. And so they knew to treat those people. I wonder if there was an element of that in this idea of, you know, get some fresh air, get up and get fresh air. And the people that weren't able to get up and get a bit of fresh air, they kind of knew they were the ones that really needed treatment right away. Otherwise, they were going to die. I wonder if there was an element of that um, even back then. I don't know if that's the case, but it just reminded me of how they've been treating this coronavirus in China recently. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very good point. Um, I think back then the mentality would have been the the fitter and healthier you are, the better chance you've got of avoiding this flu. Mm. The crazy thing about the Spanish flu, though, is it hit young adults harder than any other age, which usually with most of these viruses, um, it always hits the very, very young who aren't immunized mm-hmm. and the very, very old who are very weak. Yeah. And this one hit the people in the middle who were, the, who were expected to be the ones who would survive from it. Yeah, and I mean, that's why it was so devastating to soldiers during World War I. Um, and they were finding, like, that that was one of the things on the, the front lines of, of World War I. They would have people that would stay on the trenches who were a, a little bit unwell. Oh, well, not a little bit unwell, quite a bit unwell, but they were able to still fight. And the ones that weren't able to fight, the really, really sick ones, they would take them back to hospitals and basically bring them back into the rest of the population. And that was really devastating for the spread of the disease as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, was a, it was a weird one, very weird one. This is the... Um, scientists offered several possible explanations for the high death rate of the uh, young adults of the Spanish flu um, with saying it, it triggered a cytokine storm which ravaged the stronger immune system of young adults however in 2007 an analysis was done in medical journals and they found that the viral infection was no more aggressive than previous influenza strains however malnourishment overcrowded medical camps and hospitals and poor hygiene promoted bacterial super infection and that's what it was that was killing these people more more aggressively yeah yeah, yeah i mean you can imagine what I mean, that's the perfect environment for it was the front line of um, the war in, in Europe in World War One, where they were fighting in trenches and, I mean, there were terrible conditions there. So it was almost like the perfect storm for the Spanish flu. Yes. Now, the, uh, the Spanish flu was the first of two pandemics caused by the H1N1 influenza virus, the second being swine flu in 2009. Mm-hmm. So... I suppose, if you want a modern version of it, that's it right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now we'll get into, essentially, how Rugby League re- reacted to the uh, the Spanish flu. Yeah, because, like, all of the reading that I've done about Rugby League history, and I can honestly say I've never heard about how Rugby League reacted to Spanish flu, it's just, it's almost like a, a blind spot in the game's history. Well, we will see. (laughs) (laughs) On April 14, the league held their meeting where it was revealed that Harold Horder and Les Cubitt, two great players at the time, 
in quotes, are still wearing their brains out as to how they're going to dodge the flu restrictions regarding the upcoming season, how they're going to play the games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was also reported that another test player, Charles Chuck Fraser, was very sick with the flu as well. That that little quote and those little comments there are the only times the flu is mentioned in the whole meeting. Wow, that's incredible. Because they're living through a moment where this terrible disease has come to our shores on the other side of the world. We're not immune anymore from this by because of distance. And everything's being shut down and they don't mention it more than that. Yeah. Two and a half months after the first case was in there. So you know it's going crazy at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Um Two weeks after the meeting, whereby the league were essentially, uh, the league decided they would essentially go ahead with the season as normal, even discussing tours to other countries and having other countries visit Australia. Um, even though that was being discussed, there were some journals suggesting that interstate football alone may not be permitted to go ahead, let alone the game itself and tours and whatnot. That sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Just go on. Don't worry about it. It's not happening if we don't address it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there were a few... Well, I mentioned a few players who um, had to come back and play out of retirement. These are notable players. There was a lot more than these. But these are the, the big stars at the time who came out of retirement and come and helped out some of the clubs that were hit by the flu during the 1919 season um, because player numbers just got smashed. Mm-hmm. Um so Paddy McHugh, former Test player who'd been retired since 1916, he came out to play for West three years later. Um, Arthur Butler and Bob Craig, who were both aged 37, continued on for one last season with Annandale and Balmain, respectively. Bob Graves, who retired in 1913, played seven games for Annandale. Sid Dean came out of retirement to play in a game for Norse. Charlie Russell did the same thing for Newtown, despite having retired four years earlier as well. And... The list of other regular first graders coming in and playing in for the first time in a, in a year or two, uh, it just goes on and on and on. Despite this, the New South Wales Rugby League season remained at their full 14 rounds as they had for the previous several years. It was still played in front of crowds with only a very moderate drop in crowd figures. Yet there were still some games played in front of large crowds, such as, I want to say large crowds, we're talking about um, crowd titles bigger than 15,000. Mm-hmm. Noting that they only had 56 games in a regular season then. Yeah. So South versus West in round one drew 20,000. South versus Glebe in round three drew 17,000. Dalmain versus South in round four drew 25,000. Dalmain versus East in round eight drew 17,000. And their return match in round 14 drew another 20,000. That's a bit surprising. That's I just want... club games. Yeah, yeah. That's really, really surprising to me because, I mean, Sydney siders were seeing the death and despair that this this disease was bringing to Sydney, and they were still turning up to footy games. That's really interesting. When you consider that one in three were infected, mm. how many infected people would have been at a game with 25,000 people in attendance? Yeah, exactly. Knowing that players were infected. Yeah. Um, it's it. That's shocking. Yeah, and just didn't care. 
just kept playing. Well, I wouldn't say didn't care. They just kept playing like it, like you know, they had to, I guess. Um, the New South Wales Rugby League then sent out a request to New Zealand to come and do a, a tour for the first time since the war had ended, and New Zealand said, "Yep, no worries." <laughs> they arrived in Melbourne at the very end of May, the start of June, and were immediately quarantined in Melbourne. <laughs> After almost a week there in quarantine, they were released and began their tour in Sydney on June 7. They travelled to Tamworth, Newcastle, Ipswich, Brisbane, Rockhampton and Toowoomba on an 11-game tour. Didn't play any tests. Wow, that's interesting. So so the, the rugby league at the time just used those games as a way to make money. Like it wasn't even about the sporting contest at all. It was just we need somebody out there generating funds for us. Exactly. Wow. Um, 11 days into their tour, three of the Kiwi players were bedridden with the flu. Oh. Um, Tancred, Summers and Wilson, alongside tour managers Oakley and Levian. This caused the game that was scheduled to be played at Orange on June 19 to be postponed before it was ultimately cancelled. They still continued their tour after that game was cancelled. Wow. Um, in June, the North Sydney's team also travelled up to Tamworth for a game. Upon returning home, it was found that six of their players had come down with the flu as well. <laughs> it's kind of shocking, eh? On June 21, uh, several of the New South Wales stars who were set to play against the touring Kiwi side were ruled out because they had the Spanish flu. That was Lyle Wall, Ray Norman, Immortal Frank Burge, Reg Ladder, Albert Johnson, uh, Dick Townsend, and uh, Kerwick. Oh, I forgot his first name. Um so they all got replaced for the third game between New South Wales and New Zealand. It's, uh, let's see, a week before that, mm-hmm. on June 15, Glebe played Balmain in a game where nine of their usual 13 first-grade players were all out with the flu, and Balmain had three of their regulars out as well. Man, rugby league is the most stubborn sport in the whole world. That like they're just forging ahead. Like if if there's players out, they replace them. That's incredible. Now there is the ultimate worst part of the story, and this is, okay. remember, this is all in June. Yeah, all of what I said is all in June. In June of nineteen nineteen, Mick Frawley, who played for the Roosters in their debut season in nineteen oh eight, succumbed to the virus and died. Wow. So. It wasn't just a case of league got lucky. It didn't. No. Yeah. One of one of their one of their pioneer players passed away from this virus, and if that's not a big enough name for you, because he did actually play for Australia, Daly Messenger and his wife Annie both contracted the disease and were, and fell very frightfully ill. Daly survived, but sadly his wife didn't. Oh, geez, I didn't know that. Hey, uh, it's you know you. You got some pretty pretty prominent people there, two people right there, um, and they they both played for the East Club. Mm-hmm. So it it can hit the game, and that's at a time when when the game only had eight clubs, and they, as I said, they played four games every week, and they only had fourteen rounds, fifty six games. Nothing yeah, like, like the near two hundred game system they've got now. Yeah, exactly. Like. I mean, it, with the games where there was like what seven or nine players that were out of it, like that's a chunk of the playing 
the rugby league professional playing population. Like there's there's not many professional players at this point um, in their first grade competition. No, that's right. Especially because you know we'd had what five years of war before that, which depleted the playing stocks immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for the Glebe Club because they gave so many players to the war effort, mm-hmm. and so for them to have got out of the war and gone, hooray, the war's over, we've got our players back, and then have nine of their 13 regulars all missing because of a flu, be like, ah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely and, incredible that the game that the game was allowed to continue. Like, you would think that officials at the time would have realised that that was, I mean, that was a a prime mover just for people around the city. And... Uh, that's incredible. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. One other part of this story, um, not directly linked to rugby league in 1919, but was very important, important mm-hmm. to the game, was James Joint and Smith. Um, if you don't know him, listen to an episode on the chaos of the uh, 1909 season. That episode speaks about how important he was to the game. He eventually paid for the Wallabies to switch codes and come over to rugby league. And that move actually helps save rugby league, essentially. Mm. Um, After he spent his time in rugby league, he became the Lord Mayor of Sydney in 1918. Um, James Joint Smith was very prominent in Sydney hospitals. And the two major ones there was the, the Royal South Sydney hospital and the Royal Prince Alfred hospital. He was, he served as the senior director for both of those from 1911 till 1932. Um, he's also a director of the Wentworth Falls Convalescent Home and the founding president of the Picton Lake Soldiers and Sailors Settlement at Thirlmere. So he had a um, very good resume when it came to healthcare and hospitals and, and the kind. Mm-hmm. So because of that, he was assigned to a small council tasked with fighting the spread of the flu. Um, and that was pretty much how he spent most of the 1919 year was... I suppose trying to keep people's spirits up, but trying to give them the right information on how to avoid the illness, how to cope with it when they get it, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. He was a prominent figure in all of that. So it's interesting that we had a, a very important rugby league figure from the early days still involved in trying to help all of Sydney, New South Wales cope with this deadly virus sweeping the sweeping through the area. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because um, a lot of the movers and shakers in in Sydney, at like from 1907 onwards, they a lot of them are involved in rugby league, and they go back and forth, like into the game and then out of the game, and they're back into the, I guess the you know serving the public in a in a certain way. Exactly. Um, so a few months after that, by August, Australia decided to return the favour with New Zealand, who travelled over, and Australia went over to New Zealand and played in nine games. They won eight of those, the second test being their only loss. They completely annihilated the opposition while they were over there as well. Um, that tour went without any hitch, and no one was fell ill over there. And mm-hmm. you know, a month later, most of the virus was pretty much done and done with in Australia. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of records say that it was pretty much over by mid-September 1919. So... Rugby League's response to the flu back then in, in 1919 was, eh. Yeah, they kind of threw caution to the wind, didn't they? And just, 
you know, no matter who fell ill and stuff, they the show went on. Very much so. And I dare say they used the, the same mindset that they use for continuing to have competition running during World War One, and that was we need to have the sport going to keep the people's minds off this catastrophic disease going through the place or, you know, the mm-hmm. catastrophic war that was making everyone depressed. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the mindset as to why they continued playing games. Yeah. And, and look, when you look at what's happening now at the moment, you can kind of see that to a certain extent. And it's a really, it's a real balancing act because you are weighing up uh, the cost to the public's health that there could potentially be. But there is there really is something to be said about when the footy starts. It's just nice to have something to distract you for a, a few hours. And I don't know how good the distraction is, but it is a little bit of a distraction. And it it is comforting to see something that you know and, and you rely on and, you know, you, you come to get used to still being in place while there's so many other things that are being taken away. Yeah, I think the difference, though, and one criticism you could make about, you know, why the game shouldn't go ahead mm-hmm. is in 1919, obviously, all forms of entertainment were places where you had to leave your home and go and take part in. It could have been going to the sport, going to the races, yeah. um, or going to the theatre, or going, you know, going to listen to music or something like that. You all had to leave your home and actually go somewhere to go and enjoy it, mm-hmm. whereas now... If there's no sport on, you just sit at home and, you know, put on Netflix or something like that or put on a PlayStation or whatever and just entertain yourself that way. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, that, like, there are a thousand things that you can do for entertainment. You're listening to this podcast right now. You know, that's one of the things you can do. And thanks yeah. for listening. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but that that's a really good point. I guess back then in Sydney, I mean – they had shut so many things down and, and with the rugby league still going, but it's crazy to think that they there was a priority put on having something going on for entertainment purposes back then. But knowing that it was going to be the perfect place to spread this virus around at the same time, it's I, I find it hard to justify then. I think it's easier in some ways to justify it now because you can play in front of an empty stadium and get so many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people can still watch it on TV. I feel like it's easier to justify now than it would have been back then. I agree. And, you know, this is a less less deadly, less rapidly spreading virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're taking much greater precaution now mm-hmm. than what they did back in 1919. Yeah, um, so that, you know, that works in the favor of the game, obviously mm-hmm. it's now the one thing that you did raise in our off air podcast, mm-hmm. and you did, you <laughs> it was did a long one us... too. We talked for about an hour and a half, two hours. <laughs> we did. Um, and thankfully you stopped yourself short cause it was a very good point. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you came up to it and you went, we're doing a podcast here. Okay. Yeah. 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 And we stopped straight away. Yeah. Is, uh, we, we thought we'd talk about whether this um, this unique situation was actually having a negative impact on the, the the game and how it's being played at the moment, because 
I made the point that most of the football that's been played so far has been pretty bad. It feels like it, yeah. It feels like... I mean, I feel like with all of the footy we've had so far in the first two rounds, there's really only been one or two games that have... Like, I thought the the North Queensland versus um, Broncos game was pretty good. I don't think it was as good as some of them contests have been, but I I think you could watch that and be like, man, these teams are ripping in. It's a really enjoyable contest. Um, And look, I I think for a lot of the rest of the games, and I haven't seen all the games yet, but I, I think the rest of the games that I've really watched, they haven't lived up to where you would think they would and I, I do I think that the situation that's going on right now is probably affecting the football I think it there's no doubt that it's affecting the players and they're only human like they're not robots um, but yeah we're not seeing the best football right now and I think it's understandable and I, I think it's more than just you know applying how you feel to what you're seeing. I think it's definitely the game is just, it's, it's missing a little bit of spark at the moment. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's the teams that you expect much better from, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the Melbourne storm who Mm -hmm. just look so average. The Sydney roosters who Mm -hmm. look like they don't know how to score points anymore. Yeah. Um, just, I don't know what it is, but they so many of these the really good teams. You just you expect them to come out of the blocks in good form, and usually every year, round one or round two, round three, you usually get two or three teams who just absolutely nail it. They may not go on and reach the finals, but they they come out of the blocks firing. Mm-hmm. Like the Dragons and the Warriors are usually always pretty good for a few few good wins at the start of the year. Mm. Um, that just hasn't happened this year. No, and it almost it almost looks like you know when you get to about the three quarter mark in the season, and there's some teams that their season is effectively over, and you see the that hit that it almost is like they've got a mental fatigue as much as anything. It's almost as though there are a lot of teams right now that are playing with the mental fatigue of you know three quarters of a season in. It's really strange. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a start to the season like it, which is obvious in terms of the crowds not being there, but just the way that the teams are playing. And, you know, we're seeing some really grindy games. We're seeing some some mistakes that teams are making that are normally the mistakes you see when somebody is mentally fatigued. And it's only round two. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. And... I, I can't put it down to playing in front of empty stadiums and anything like that. I don't think that no. is having that much of an impact. No. I think there is just genuine fear that some of these players may get the virus, and if they do, that could be the end of the game for the year. Yeah, and I also think that the environment they're finding themselves in now, and like the thing about the empty stadiums, th- most of the games that they've ever played in their lives were in front of the same crowds, no one there, right? So it's only when they hit the professional level that they're playing in front of crowds. So playing in front of no one again, they've been there, they've done that. It's not something new to them. But I think being in the professional environment 
and it almost been a sanitized environment at this stage. And, you know, they've, they're, they're coming out of their, their everyday life with their family and stuff like that, where they're trying to be as careful as they can. Uh, and they're coming into this sanitized professional environment. I feel like life right now and everything we're seeing in society, it feels so surreal. And I wonder if there's, when they're running out there in front of nobody and the, the light shows are happening with some clubs and they're playing music and stuff. I wonder if that surreal feeling is having an effect. And we kind of don't know if these games are even going to mean anything. Like if the competition, by the time we put this podcast out, we're going to put this podcast out 10 minutes after we've finished. By the time you're listening to this podcast, the season might have been cancelled. And I'm talking about like midday on Monday, the season might be cancelled. You just don't know if these games are actually going to mean something. And that's got to have an effect in itself. You know, if if you're going out there and you have, you know, all these teams that have started 2-0, will it actually count for anything? And the answer to that, nobody can give you right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the thing. We've got so many players in the game who are fathers. Mm-hmm. And their big concern, obviously, is going to be, you know, I don't know how safe the players we're playing against are, like how, you know, what their hygiene levels are like. Yeah. What if one of them gives me the floor and I take it home to my little baby who doesn't, who isn't old enough to have all the immunization shots yet? And that's going to be a pretty common issue a lot of players are going to have. There's a lot of young dads out there with very young kids. Um, you know, there was, there was footage of um, Adam Fanua Blake doing training with the face mask on. Mm-hmm. And some people were saying, oh, this is ridiculous and stuff like that. And going, no, he's got like four kids. Yeah, I had, I, I thought it was, you know, if you've got access to, if you're a player and you've got access to face masks, I had no problems with that. And I thought it was, I thought it was a little bit gross the way the media covered it as well. They covered it like he was, he was taking the piss or something. And, and I was like, you, I was like, this is a guy that's doing the right thing by his family. Yeah. Like he's, he's trying to, you know, still do his job. Mm-hmm. Um, but also he's got to try and make sure he's clean and safe for, for his family that he's got to go back home to every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the horrible situation that the Warriors are in. Uh. They can't even go back and see the, they can't go back and see their wives or their babies. They've got to sit there and just, you know, write it out until they can go back home, knowing that they can't come back until this virus has gone away. And there's, to some degree, part of the NRL season kind of relies on them to not go home. That's a horrible situation to be in. Really, really is. And, like, I mean, if they if they return to New Zealand tomorrow, if they're physically able to, because we're starting to see international travel just shut down completely, if they're physically able to get back to New Zealand tomorrow, then they have to be in quarantine for two weeks. And, you know, if their family, if they were able to sort out having their immediate family come over and stay with them in Australia, they wouldn't be able to see them for two weeks. It, it's, it really is. It's, I mean, I don't think that we're giving enough credit to the Warriors. The fact that they didn't lose on the weekend by 60 points, I think, was extraordinary. I I fully agree. I I completely expected those guys to be absolutely flogged by the Raiders because I thought, how can they have their minds 100% on the job with with this going on around them? 
Um, and to their credit, Tilva only lost by 14. I think it was an absolute stellar effort on their behalf. Um, and I love the fact that a lot of fans are going out and buying memberships in the Warriors. Yeah. Um, that That's a bloody good sign. Uh, it I, is. It's one of those great things that happens in, in rugby league every now and then is you just see one of those little movements go on to help the game out. Um, that was fantastic to see. Yeah, it was beautiful. And look, I've... I've been very, very against this push by some people within the game saying, oh, the clubs need your money. The clubs need your money. And I'm the first person to say, man, you know who needs your money right now is you. Like, you need your money right now. Um, but the Warriors, man, and anything that, that fans can afford to to give them, I, I think they deserve. And I, I hope that the NRL itself... I mean, they're, they're going to be behind the Warriors. They're not going to let the Warriors fall over or anything like that because we've talked about the Warriors generate more for the game than the Warriors take in their grant. But I hope that this time next year, the Warriors club looks at, at the money that they've got available and they're in rude health. I really do because they deserve... I, I don't think you can praise them enough. What they're doing and the sacrifice they're making is incredible. I fully agree. Um and unheard of in the game before, really. Yeah, and the no team has ever been in that position, really, have they? Where you know they, I mean, they're a team from a different nation, and this is a team that's now. That, I mean, they're stuck in Australia, and we, the most of the people who are listening to this are, are from Australia, and we don't think of it as. I mean, imagine if your NRL team was stra- basically stranded in New Zealand. And they didn't know how long for, they didn't know what was going to happen, whether the competition was going to be cancelled. And if it's cancelled, they're still going to be two two weeks away from being able to come home. If they're physically able to come home, you know, you've got to look at it from the Warriors' point of view. It's amazing that they stayed. It really is amazing. Yeah, I and I, I, I kind of expected the management to come out and say, yeah, we're going to stay. But then a number of players go, I'm not. I'm going yeah. home. Yeah. And to their credit, that just hasn't happened. They've stayed as a unit. They've stayed solid. Um, so, yeah, massive wraps on for that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, I think what else we could chuck in there, I guess? Because um, I think one thing that's been interesting on a more yep. amusing level, yep. we've had two games at Leichhardt Oval this week. Yes. And there's there's been a if you haven't seen it there's been a family that owns a house just around the ground there and they've erected some uh, some scaffolding and they've been standing on top of it with a bunch of mates I dare say it is watching yep. the game from over the fence and they've been making a hell of a lot of noise in the games and it's been absolutely fantastic. I, t- I tell you what though the last game they played um, the Tigers versus Knights game. There were a lot of people around the outside of the stadium, and I think it's, you know, they yeah. play at Leichhardt Oval because, and I don't know if that game was scheduled for Leichhardt Oval, the second one, but the Roosters game was was moved there. Um, they play at Leichhardt Oval because it's very cheap to play there. You see a lot of New South Wales Cup games played there because it's very cheap. I have a feeling that with the growing crowds outside of the stadium, and it is wonderful to see, and you, there's a lot of commitment there. And I mean, if you're willing to stick your head over the top of a fence to watch it, that's fantastic. You love the game. There's no doubt about it. They're all fans. But it, there does come a point where 
if I'm a rugby league official, I'm thinking not only does it kind of look bad at a certain point when you've got a dozen people sticking their head over the fence from one backyard at a time, but I'm also starting to wonder about um, the exposure for my players and the broadcasters and the officials at some point. I, I don't mind the ones that were in the backyard because they're still in their house property. They're not actually at the venue, but there was talk of people trying to get into the ground. Oh, really? And that's the one I don't like. Yeah, that's a problem. See, I saw there were some there were some backyards where they were packed with people. There were like. Mm. If it was a family, say you live, say you have a house that backs onto it, and there's four, three, four, five of you that stick your head over the fence. I've got no problems with that, right? But I was seeing like pretty decent groups of people sticking their head over the yeah, fence. Ten, ten plus. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's people that are travelling there to do that, and that's the problem. And I, I, I have a feeling that we might see the NRL move to more enclosed uh, stadiums. Um, I don't know which ones they'll pick because it will come down to a cost issue. They're going for the cheapest stadiums possible. But I, I do. I think the NRL will be trying to avoid that going uh, forward. I think in the end, if they want to try and keep costs down, if knowing that they're going to be playing in front of crowds of zero, mm-hmm. then they should just start having double and triple headers at one venue like the Bankwest Stadium and the like. Well, look, that's one thing I was thinking of. But then you're exposing a lot of people once again to the possibility of like if you have a triple header and you find out one player on the field comes down with the virus you got to you basically have to quarantine all of those teams so i feel like it's a risk That's true. yeah you know and and it's weird because it's you know they're risking they're risking things anyway playing games but i and i think you try and cut down those risks anytime you can um I mean, I was even thinking like they played that. They've played two games in in two days at at uh, Leichhardt Oval. That in itself has to be some sort of risk, surely. Well, they did the same thing at Seabus as well on the Gold Coast. They had two games yeah. in two days there as well. Um, I'd like to know how you clean a football ground mm. because it's not the seats. No one's sitting in those. No. How do you clean the actual grass? So this doesn't have any virus in it. Yeah, do, do you like need it's weird, to? It's weird things like that, yeah. You know, do, does the, would the virus survive overnight well, on grass? I don't know. Is, what's the thing? How often do you see players spitting on the ground? Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of that getting around there. It takes one of those players to be, you know, let's say, for argument's sake, Bryce Cartwright spits on the ground. Are you going to want to be tackled on that same bit of grass? See what you did there. <laughs> I was just picking a random name. I don't think he'd be able to take out a player even like that, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's... look, it's a really good question. I, I like. I feel as though they were probably disinfecting the the uh, change rooms. You would think they would yeah. be. Yeah, they would be, and all the equipment and stuff like that would all get disinfected. Yeah, the grass is the only thing that you don't know about. Yeah, and, and look, we're not we're not doctors, so we don't know if if that's. I mean, it's the only profession I don't have. Um, yeah. but it's um, it's the only thing we don't know about, like you know whether a virus can survive and how long it can while it's not inside a a host, so to speak. Yeah, and like, I mean, they they 
they still don't know a huge amount of, about this virus. They're getting new information about it every day. But, you know, I, I've seen just in the last few days um, on the news where they've said they think the first symptoms might actually be that you get an upset stomach from it. Um, and they're looking into that. Like, that, they don't know everything about this virus, which is incredible. Uh so, yeah, playing at the one venue on back-to-back days, I mean, I guess that is a certain amount of risk as well. And I guess it that then transitions into we're now at a st- and, and we're recording on a on a Sunday night, basically, very late Sunday night. And at the moment, we've got a bunch of states that have shut their borders. New South Wales and Queensland and the ACT are the only ones that haven't officially done that yet. And that brings into question how we go forward with the competition at this point and where we might be in like a week from now. Because a week ago, if you'd said all of these restrictions are in place, it would have sounded like it it was impossible. But here we are. Probably a little excessive. But this is the thing is the Melbourne Storm, um, in their effort to try and make sure that they reduce the amount of exposure they may have had to the... um, the virus in Sydney, because actually that's where it's pretty much at its worst in Australia. Mm-hmm. They flew into Sydney on a private plane, literally just two two hours or so before kickoff. Mm-hmm. They did their training on the actual venue, um, played the game. After the game, they did what they usually do with the physio and whatnot in the dressing sheds, and they hopped on the charter plane, went back to Victoria, and they're down back in Melbourne now. They could arrive back here at midnight after the game. Mm-hmm. That means that they're now back here in Melbourne. This week, they've got to play. They've got to host Penrith down here, and I believe if it hasn't happened already, it's probably bound to over the next few days. The border between New South Wales and Victoria is going to be closed. Mm. Melbourne's already here, so that would mean that they can't go to New South Wales. Penrith can't get in. What do they do about that game? Do they just postpone it? Um. And I suppose there's a whole heap of other issues like, um, you know, Manly's obviously got to play the Warriors. They're still in New South Wales. They can do that. Um, The Cowboys have got Parramatta. They're hosting Parramatta up there in Townsville. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's pretty much the only other tour that has to take place. The rest of the games are in and around Sydney. Yeah, no. I mean... The, the Prime Minister made an address on Sunday night and he said all non-essential travel to basically cancel it. Um, but he also said that if you need to travel for work, that's that's kind of essential travel. Yeah. And these footy players, they're professional players. This is their work. Um, it's a really tough position for the game to be in. And... I I know that the NRL has talked about what they've they've got a lot of contingency plans. They had a contingency plan in place for if the Warriors went home. Uh, they haven't had to enact that yet. They've said that they they are able to continue the competition if the Warriors are not involved. My guess is they are able to continue some level of the competition if other clubs pull out as well. Well, the so only if, other one really I think that's going to be that may have to pull out is probably the Storm, given that. The New South Wales-Queensland border is still open. Yeah, but you wonder for how long, you know. Yeah. And 
the thing about the Storm is they're a privately owned club, which is it allows them a certain level of control over themselves that they can make. I mean, they because they're they're privately owned, they can make some really immediate decisions instead of having to go through a board process and things like that. You know, well, I was going to say the one thing. Melbourne have that may go against them is the fact that their next three games are all down here in Melbourne. Okay. And it's against Penrith and South and the Titans. See, I wonder if if the Melbourne Storm will look to relocate to either... in Look, the easiest place for them to relocate would be Sydney because no matter what happens, they're going to be playing a lot of the clubs in Sydney. Most of the clubs are still based in... Or half the clubs based in Sydney in, or there or thereabouts. Um, so the the smart thing would be for them to come to Sydney, but then, I mean, Cameron Smith has already said we should cancel the season. Is he gonna is he gonna be a player? Because if Cameron Smith said, "Look, I'm not doing that," I think it starts a cascade of things. I tell you what, looking at their draw, mm-hmm. I would say the smartest thing for Melbourne to do would be to base themselves either in Brisbane mm-hmm. or the Gold Coast because. Aside from Penrith and South over the next two weeks, after that they play the Titans, you know, it's Titans at Melbourne, the Cowboys at Townsville, then the Warriors at uh, down here in Melbourne. The Warriors are based on the Gold Coast at the moment. Mm-hmm. And then they've got the Dragons on, you know, Magic Weekend in at Suncorp. Okay. So most of their games would be based in Queensland then anyway. Yeah, no, look, I get. I think at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if games completely moved to where they were supposed to be played as well. Like, you know, if it's, uh, say, for instance, if you've got to play the Cowboys, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Townsville's a bit different because, like, I've I've read, I don't know if it's true, that they haven't had any cases up there in North Queensland. That might have changed since I last heard that. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if games moved around. We saw games played at really weird stadiums as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there was talk, actually, that the, the virus doesn't function as effectively in warmer climates. But I looked on the uh, WHO website, and they seem to think that, well, they, they claim on there that that's not exactly true. Yeah, I I feel like that's one of those wives' tales as well. I'm, I'm guessing that it's prob- you're probably better off being in a warm environment as opposed to the, the cold sort of environment where you're going to get that sort of flu-like uh, environment anyway, but I, I would be shocked if it was something that couldn't be transferred still in, in warm weather. I, but I'm not a doctor. I mean, what the fuck do I know? Um, but what, you didn't have to, you know, agree with me so quickly. Jeez. <laughs> I, don't agree. I don't agree with you all the time. Yeah, yeah. People um, think it's a bit of a wank fest. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> mind you, I was saying that's right about you not being a doctor. You you slipped that other line in afterwards. Yeah, what the fuck do I know? Yeah, and I, I was I'm I'm too slow a thinker to be able to change to change what I was going to say. It just came out, and I thought, oh, whoops. Yeah, Anyways. it's all right. It's all right. Um, <laughs> look, I I think if the thing I I kind of am looking at, and everything's moving so quick. Queensland shuts its borders and we're already Victoria's about to shut the border to New South Wales. The ACT has said we basically don't have the ability to shut the border. It's just not feasible. I wonder if the NRL 
is set up for a contingency plan where we basically revert back to having a, a either a Sydney competition or just a New South Wales based competition with say the the Knights and the the Canberra Raiders involved in it, which would be really really a lot easier to deal with than having to have teams flying around because if it's just a New South Wales or a Sydney based competition, you can now use buses to get around, and once you're using buses you can control how much exposure players are having to a really, really high degree. I think they would probably be more inclined to want to make sure that if if they're confined to having one state available, mm-hmm. then they just get all 16 teams to come to that state. Yeah, and... Look, and the Warriors, are doing, the Warriors won't care where they are. They're, they're away yeah. from home. You I guess... Need- you only need eight venues. If you want to give every team a different venue, you only need eight venues Yeah. each week. But as we've seen this week, you can double up a few. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be more inclined, if they need to double up, I wouldn't do it one day after the other. So I'd have yeah. a Friday game at one venue and then have a Sunday game at that venue and just have that Saturday to properly, thoroughly go through the venue, head to toe and clean it. Yeah. yeah um, that would be the way to do it. <clears throat> And I, I tell you something else. I wouldn't be shocked if they if they get to that point if they look at the draw and they say something. So say for instance that six p.m. Friday night game, which is I don't think it's ideal for anything for for TV or anything. I wouldn't be shocked if they said, "Look, we can afford to move that game to eight p.m. on a Sunday night." You know, and and move games yeah. around a little bit. Because it's not like they're putting fans or corporate sponsors or anything out. They literally just they can shuffle games if they need to. Um, so I wouldn't almost, be shocked if we saw that. They could go one game every day of the week. They could if they could if they could make sure there was enough of a break between games. I mean, like I think they'd like to have at least six. I think they moved up to six days break. They like to have between games for teams. I, I don't know if they would be willing to change that to five days because if they change it to five days, maybe you could almost get, like, games on every single day of the week. I mean, it'd have to go close. But given that there'd be such a reduced amount of travelling involved, mm. you could yeah, get that away will... with that. Yeah, and I tell you something else. You might be able to, and I've talked about in the future when we get enough teams that instead of having like this weekend we have round one next weekend we have round two you might be able to stagger the way that the draw is so that in the space of a month you might be able to get five rounds of football in there yeah which i i think that the more games we can play the better at this stage because i like do you feel like we're going to get a full season in um I'm under the impression that the league is committed to trying to get the full season in. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's going to stop them is if the Prime Minister comes out and says, you can't. Yeah. I think they're so determined to make this work. See, um, I, I feel as though we're going to probably get, and this is just a, a, a guess, right? But I feel as though we're going to get hopefully this next round in, hopefully a couple more rounds after that, but I feel as though then 
we're going to have this season suspended for maybe a couple of months and then start up again after that. And I don't think we're going to play the full set of games. I've always kind of felt like if they could get it so every team has played everyone once, they'd be happy with that and then go into a final series. Yeah. Um, They'd also have to do away with the the buy rounds around Origin. Because they wouldn't need them, obviously, if they're knocking, you know, 10 weeks off the off the usual competition. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because um, that's the thing. is They're still going to want their content. The big issue now is also going to be, do they go ahead with the tour at the end of the year? I can't believe that hasn't been cancelled already, to be honest. I, I heard um, some reports in the media, I think it was before the weekend started, that they were going to make an announcement in the next 48 hours on that. And, of course, that didn't happen. Um, the thing I think with the tour is that new new NRL club or player contracts kick in on November 1st. That's when the, the contract basically flips over to the next season's contract. So my feeling is that they're probably going to have to have everything sorted by November 1st. Now, they might be able to sit down with the Players Association and push that back a little bit, but they're not going to be able to push it back too much. Like, they might get to December 1st or something like that. And then you're running into the heat. You know, you can't be playing in in an Australian summer. It's just way too hot. No matter if you cut the game into quarters and you had drinks breaks, it's just going to get too hot at some point. So I, th- well, I, and think, I think that scrapping the tour is just an easy way to, to find a, a good month where you could maybe get a final series in. I think they're going to have to scrap it given that the coronavirus is a lot more deadlier in, in the UK at the moment than it has been in Australia. I mean, they've had yeah. 233 deaths over there. Yeah. Um, over 5,000 confirmed cases, 1,000 of those have been in the last week. Yeah, it's it's very scary <laughs> how it's hitting. I mean, Europe's the epicentre now. They've had more cases in Europe than they had in China. Yeah. Um and that's you because know, there's such massive populations in such tiny areas. Yeah, and and you know, very in a lot of places, some of the places it's like still ancient, like roads and and small roads, and you know they're using plumbing that was put in by Romans. You know, um, <laughs> it's you know the things that make parts of Europe beautiful. Unfortunately, are also the things that allow it to you know, be so susceptible to, to a pandemic. Um, it's very, very sad and scary what's happening over in Europe, and I just can't see that a- any Australian Rugby League player is going to be ready to go over and and play in Europe for any reason, you know, by the time the Kangaroo Tour is supposed to be kicked off. Yeah. Um, just about every single um, local authority in the UK has got at least one case of coronavirus right now. Yeah. Um, but it's mostly, it looks to be in the south and around London where obviously it's going to be hardest hit. The north doesn't seem to have been too hard hit at the moment. But um, <laughs> it is only March. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, they, they're already talking about the NHS over there is starting to get towards a point where it's a pro, it's a like 
it's a real problem. They're not going to be able to handle everything. Um, in Italy, they've been, you know, deciding who they give, you know, treatment yeah. to. They've been... It's, it's dire there in Italy. I mean, this in the same era. Who do we just let die and who do we try and save? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a horrible situation to be in. Um, another horrible situation is the media reporting on this. Um, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to say anything here, you know, people go to official sources. Don't go to the media for your information. Go to government sources for, for information about what's been shut down and what hasn't, what to do, what not to do. Go to the World Health Organization website, um, get information there. Don't, don't buy into whatever you, you find on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever the bloody media tells you because a lot of that is not accurate. Just go to the official sources. Yeah, and look, there's the press conferences have been fantastic by the New South Wales, and I'm looking at it from New South Wales' point of view. I'm sure you're getting the same thing down in Victoria. The state governments are, are doing a lot of press conferences. Um, as far as the Commonwealth goes, the the uh, press conferences by Scott Morrison have been fantastic. Um, you know, and, and yeah, just go, please just go by the official source because I've seen... I've seen some really terrible reporting, especially when you go onto social media and on Twitter and things like that. It's been really, really bad. There's a lot of like fake stuff that's been passed around as fact, uh, especially on Facebook apparently. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's uh, some, some really, really terrible stuff, really nasty stuff too. So yeah, just go by, you know, don't go by what you're, some celebrity on TV or something says it's some of the some of the people that are are giving out advice. It's like why are you giving out advice? You sing songs, um, just, <laughs> or you you played a TV docu, not a real one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just go to go to the go to the officials. They're the ones giving out the the best advice and and do what they say. Exactly, exactly, and calm down. Seriously, the worst thing you need right now is panic. You know, this there has been um, stories, sadly, of people who don't need um, dental and stuff like that going to chemists and buying it. And it's a, a lot of people who are actually asthmatic are finding it hard to actually get some. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I've noticed firsthand myself. So don't get what you don't need. Whenever you're going to buy something, just say, do I need this or does someone need it more than me? Yeah. Get what and you need. If you're going to get quarantined, it's only for two weeks. It's not for four months. Use some common sense. You're not going to need 250 rolls of toilet paper if there's only you and three other people in your house. Just use some common sense, people. That's all I ask. Yeah, and I mean, the only thing I the only thing I would say, and I just bag people that gave advice, so I'm going to give you some. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you if you don't have to go out, don't go out. Yeah, that's the only thing I would say. If it like, and that's what I'm doing. I, I'm in, in a position to, luckily. But if if you don't have to go somewhere, if it's a, you know, if you're going out for something that's a luxury, it's something that you don't really need to get by. Just don't go out. Exactly. Stay at home and try and do whatever you can to keep yourself. And you don't don't worry about contracting coronavirus. Do what you can to make sure you just don't get the flu. Yeah, you know, just be just be smart about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it's, we go. It's, 
it's a very strange time. It, it's something that, uh, and, and you and me were talking before the podcast. It was a fantastic podcast once again that we did Magnificent. record. Really, probably, really good. Probably one In, of the best ever podcasts ever recorded. Yeah, yeah, ever not, not recorded. recorded. <laughs> um, it's we talked about the things that have been the biggest events in our lifetime, and and the Berlin Wall being one of them, uh, 9-11 obviously being one of them. It's crazy to think that in our lifetime, this is the big, big, big event that probably will overshadow both of those things, and that will be looked at in a hundred years, and understood that it is. It was how devastating it is, and we're lucky that this coronavirus isn't um, isn't like the plague or something that killed so many more people well, that got it. Or the Spanish flu. It's yeah, crazy too to think flu. that this this coronavirus flu has pretty much been on our shores for what a month, a bit over mm. a month. Yeah, and people have already forgotten about the bushfires that devastated this country for three or four months before that. That's how worldwide, global, and how how big this thing is. Yeah, and the the drought, you know, mm. it it's weird how um certain things the volume is turned up way louder than other events. Um, it's it's a very strange it's very strange to be living through something that it kind of reminds me of. Remember when you used to read about tsunamis and you couldn't picture it, and then when the tsunamis hit Japan in particular, and you were watching it on TV, and you were like, oh, this is what that is when you see it. And it's kind of a similar thing in this instance in that you only ever read about what a pandemic was and things going into lockdown and all that sort of thing, and you you only ever read about it. And now we're living through it, and it's like, oh, this this is it. Like, this isn't a... This isn't a drill. This is the real thing, you know, and it's a very strange moment to to live through. That's right. And I I just want to stress that we've, you know, humans have lived through much worse viruses than this, much mm-hmm. more deadly, much more, you know, aggressively spreading ones. And the race survived. It's just common sense and, and being sensible is one of the, the biggest things that I can stress that we need to help get through this. If we if we go out and start being all all selfish and inconsiderate of, of everybody else, then we're going to start leaving some people who are unable to properly care for themselves, mm-hmm. and they could be the people that are vulnerable, and they could be the ones who die, and that could be a problem. Yeah, and we've got to try and do what we can to look after one another so that we don't end up having any deaths because of this. That's the main that's the main goal here, and so that's. That's why I'm, I'm a bit more passionately opposed to people hoarding stuff. Um, I'm not going to go on a rant about that. I've already had that big. So <laughs> it's um, yeah, just just look after one. I think think about people around you instead of just yourself uh, as much. That's pretty mm. much what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and when there's look when they and I think they're going to start bringing in firmer measures in terms of. Um, you know, staying at home and, and, and what businesses are open and closed and that. And when that starts happening, the thing I would say is like, if it seems like an extreme measure, it is because it's, it's, it's an extreme moment in, in our, you know, modern history and treated as such. It's, it's not a joke. Um, 
And I don't want to be one of these fucking celebrities. Did you see those fucking pricks singing that song by John Lennon? Like, can we feed those people through a fucking garden shredder? Because <laughs> seriously, what the I, fuck I didn't are they see it. Oh, my God. Fill me in. Ah, the, the, all of these, and I, it must have been coordinated. I don't know if they had the same managers or something, but they all started singing Imagine by John Lennon. And they're like singing Imagine If There's No Possessions as they're all in their fucking mansions. <laughs> like, fuck off. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Could the only, believe it. The only music videos I've seen about this whole coronavirus have been people doing a piss take of, I was only 19, and they've called it COVID-19. No, I haven't seen that one. And they've been singing about, you know, pretty much the inability to buy toilet paper. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Hey, how about that uh, the 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 podcaster song that I wrote earlier today? Now you know what that was the very last thing that I've I've got here. I'm not going to sing it. No, I, you don't have to sing it. I think if you read it out, it'll sound like poetry. It'll be it'll be just as beautiful. Okay, I'll have to find it. Let me try and find it. Uh... That way, we can both claim to be poets. Because you wrote out some of my poetry last year on an episode. Well, so you should read this out then. No, no, you've, you've you've got the uh, you've got the voice for reading out poetry. I do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm telling you, you do. So I don't have to read it out. <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so for for anybody that's a fan of uh, great great singer Kenny Rogers, he's dead, and. He died of natural causes on the weekend. He had a good life, though. So, so that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it, it, I feel like Kenny Rogers lived a bloody good life. He was kind of like Burt Reynolds, you know. He uh, he didn't die wondering. Anyway, he had a song called The Gambler. We all know The Gambler. We've all yeah. sung it when we've been drunk or whatever. And, yeah, so I made one called The Podcasters, and it's about you and me, Andrew. Um. I think you should. I think you should do it because I did your poem. Your poem went for like seventeen fucking pages. Yeah, but you know what? I I did a whole lot of research for a history thing today, so you know you should do this bit. Fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is called the podcasters. On a warm autumn evening, after tweeting about nothing, I met up with a historian. We were both too tired to sleep. So we took turns at staring at our feeds in the darkness. The boredom overtook us and I began to speak. I said, mate, I've made a life out of making people angry. Writing about football, big hits, great runs and tries. So if you don't mind me saying, I can see you want a podcast. I have an idea. I'll give you some advice. So we jumped on Skype and talked. Looked up stats and stalked. He was eating tin tuna. I had myself a Coke. As the night got deathly quiet, we kept on talking footy. I said, if you're going to do a podcast, you've got to do this fucker right. You've got to know when to praise them, know when to bag them, know when to make a joke, and know you're a cunt. (laughs) You never say that you're wrong. You just rewrite a song. Tell them that you're glorious and podcast the lot. Now, every expert knows 
the secret to surviving is knowing that you're always right and knowing Crawley's a sheep. Because Cameron Smith's a winner and Elliot's a loser. And the best you can hope for is to laugh at the palms. And when I finished speaking, Andrew turned towards the window, crushed another apple and agreed we should record. And somewhere in the darkness, the historian got serious, but his final words were positive. And I found a podcast host. You've got, you've got to know the game's history. It can't be a mystery. Know the great players and know all the clubs. You never forget a stat. You've got to be too good to forget that. There'll be time to stop counting when the project's done. So that That's was lovely. it. The That's podcast. Lovely. Yeah. And you that know the weird thing was, I woke up, basically sat up in bed like the Undertaker waking up from <laughs> a knockout in the WWE and just started bashing away on that on my, my phone. So that was kind of weird. That's fantastic, mate. That was yeah. brilliant. Thank you. I mean, you knew it was brilliant, but yeah, I just want to tell you. People, yeah. go, go find that on Twitter and retweet it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was good fun. I had a good laugh writing all that stuff. Like, <laughs> And I knew there was little things in it that like, you would find funny, like you smashed an apple. <laughs> <laughs> the can of tuna one, man. I was smashing them hard too when we, when yeah, we first had yeah, yeah, you were. <laughs> Sat in here making tuna sandwiches and then I just got bored making sandwiches. Just ate it out of the tin. Just stay, yeah, went all savage on it. Yeah, there's <laughs> little things like that I threw in there that some of our listeners might not get, but I knew you and me would. And it's about our entertainment, really, at the end of the day. That's right. That's what we did this for. <laughs> um, let me throw in that question. Have we had any emails? Oh, man. God damn it. Why do I have to do any sort of preparation at all? Like, you're the prep person, damn it. Yeah, yeah. I did my bit. I yeah, did the bit at the start. I just it was go, very, you, it's your job now. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very impressive. I was very impressed. Um, oh, I think we've got one. Oh. Okay. Okay, so this is from Greg. Greg. Uh, Greg Stock from Twitter. You know Greg Stock from Twitter. Yeah. I um, think he's a fan of mine. Yeah. He gives me this shit all the time, doesn't he? Yeah, okay. he's a good bloke. I like Greg. He said, uh, I, he said, Hope you know my gentle jibing on Twitter is all very good nature. Great admirer of the po- of your podcast. Love it. Please keep up the good work. Best wishes, Greg Stock. So that's very nice, Greg. That's very nice of you. Good on you, Greg. Yeah, that's very is he, nice. Is he the guy who costly asked if he can subscribe to me but not you? I think it is, hey. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. Go fuck yourself, Greg. No, I'm just kidding. I'd take... All of this stuff. I hope people know from listening to me on the podcast now that, you know, I'm, I'm not the same sort of fucking cunt that comes across on Twitter. I'm only like 85% of that. Yeah. So You're not the abrasive part of it. No, no. I say most things like with a bit of a smile on my face. doesn't mean I don't mean it, but at least I smile when I say it. A bit of shit story. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the only one we've got. I don't think I've missed... Missed another one, yeah. I haven't, I haven't missed another one, so yeah. It was oh, just that's a, break. that's a good email. Well, thanks for that. Um, people, if you want to tune into us, I mean, you can find us on YouTube, and it's a good idea to go over there and, and subscribe to us over there because as the season goes on, 
we will be doing live broadcasts occasionally. Um, yep. Typically, without even trying, we tend to do a live broadcast on the shittiest games of the week. Ugh, well, don't we kill a game? Jeez. We, we just do. So tune in to us whenever there's a game on. If you hear that we're going to be doing a live broadcast, then we'll let you know. Mm. Tune in because you know the game will be an absolute dog. So we'll entertain <laughs> you instead because that's just what happens. Unless yeah. it's international because if it's Italy versus Spain again, mate, that shit's gone on for three hours. That was brilliant. That's <laughs> probably my favourite one to do last year, hey? That was fantastic. History. That was a history-making game. They were up, for, up till bloody 3 a.m. with that one. That was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, get over there, subscribe to us on that. You, you ought to check out all of our live shows as they happen. Um, we're on all those podcasting things where you listen to us. We don't need to tell you which ones they are because you've already found it out. Yeah. Um, tell your friends about us like go to your friends yeah. go up to them right get real close to them too to like talk really close into them and say listen i will only leave once you've subscribed to this cool podcast i've heard it's called fergo and the freak and make them get their phone out and uh and subscribe to us yeah and then wipe your spittle off their face yeah um you check us out on Instagram and on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. Same Have we I added wrote. anything on Instagram recently? No, no, I just put all the pictures up there when we created the account. And I just left it. Okay, that's that's fair enough. There's some good pictures on there, though. Lots yeah. of podcast memories. So what I should do if I was doing this properly is I'd be putting up a picture and a bit of a promo for every episode that's been released. That sounds like work, though, eh? It does. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, you know what I might do? I might send you a picture of my new uh, my new microphone, hey? That sounds good. We can put that up. Yeah, yeah. We'll do that tomorrow. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Where are we going to have content on the Instagram page, people? How's that podcast with a with content on Instagram? You have, we worked out, have we worked out who the fuck is running the Twitter? Nah. That, that was saying some cheeky shit, too, during the week. Yeah, I was like... I was waking up and reading some of the shit, and I'm like, who the fuck is running this shit? This is not me. There's some good gear on there. I tell you what, it's fucking controversial. Um, what was this one here? Um, in this episode, League Freak sound like a robot. We promised to have that fixed in the next episode. We can't have any evidence out there that he is a robot, because that would be fantastic. Wouldn't it be? I like if it turned out that I really was a robot. Yeah. I mean, that voice chip is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, the last episode, I I, I know you didn't hear it so much, but I, I chucked in my good headphones to listen to it, and I feel like there was a little bit of a a, a slight uh, reverberation or something. I, I So I apologize for that. It's it's just this new microphone. We'll, we'll get it sorted out. I'm hoping that I've sorted out the problem for this podcast. I'm sure I have. Um, but, you know, how about the fucking cheeky fucker that runs the Twitter feed, though? Like, we'll fix it out. Who the fuck is we? Where's the other person? Exactly. We haven't got a producer. No. I'll tell you what, they made a pretty nasty one about this Clarky guy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Go find that's, that one, people. I'm not reading that out on here. That, that's that's Labella. That one is. I'm not going to read that one. that one too. Yeah, I was, I was like, fuck, man. Who the fuck is running this shit? It loves drama. I run yeah. from that shit. What was this other one? Joel Gould from the uh, NRL said, 
It's a Broncos miracle as Matt Lodge throws away his knee brace. He's set to return to running. And whoever was running out cancer, did he throw it at a family? <laughs> Jesus. When I saw that, I was like, oh, geez. That was, was a bit touchy. Um, yeah. Rule number one for working from home. Watch the porn and masturbate first thing. I saw that one. I actually agreed with that one. Well, that that is good advice. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as the, as soon as you get like, you know, peace and quiet, you knock one out like a soldier. Otherwise, you're just going to be distracted by that shit all day because you know you're going to yeah. do it at some point. Yeah, you don't want to be backed up while you're working from home. And thinking about it at the same time, you just go, you know what, get that shit out of the road, then concentrate on work. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Then do it again after lunch. <laughs> wow. I mean, what are we, animals? We're supposed to wait until, like, dinner? Yeah. I don't know how the people work around that. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, get on there. If you think you can do a better job than whoever it is running than that, then we we will just go in there and change the password and give someone else access to it. What do you reckon? That would be good. Idea. Maybe we could have a a contest where we we take applications and, and get people to write applications for taking over the Twitter feed. There's an idea. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. thinking not just the Twitter feed. We, we, we need to get someone on hand just to do our socials. Just all of them. Yeah, just do the whole lot. Yeah, that would be cool. we got to have some rules, though. Like, like it has to be uh, – there cannot be any file attachments. It has to all be done via, like, uh, writing. Because if someone yep. sends me a – Yeah, it's got to be – You know what I mean? got to be text there's no doubt about it um and realize too that we've got a lot of socials we're on instagram we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on linkedin yeah what else is there if there's if there's a social media platform out there that we're not on we need to get on it if if someone's going to get on and do (laughs) if we're going to get someone on to do our social media stuff knowing that knowing full well that you will not get paid um, we need to work these bastards to the bone yeah, you'll be basically be like an intern, but we refuse to allow you to put it on your resume. Yeah, or leave. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're in for life. Yeah. Just interesting, just looking on Twitter there. Um, politics trending. Andrew. Oh, really? Um. What? I don't know. I, I don't know what I did, but um, please let me know if I should apologise or not. I, I don't feel I should. But there you go. I'm trending. Yeah. Fuck him. Don't apologise, Andrew. <laughs> you tell him to go get stuffed. That's what you do. Politics trending, Andrew. I don't know what that is. Um, Jerry Harvey's also trending. As is ScoMo and shut Australia down. Yeah, Maybe I'm involved you. in all that. Let me tell you about... There's this thing, right? Yeah. You mentioned Jerry Harvey. There is an electronics corporation out there. And every single day this week, they've said, you know what? Sales are up $500 on bread makers at our shop. And the media goes out front of their shop and just plays the game. I'm so shocked that they play these games so easily. And it's been a different appliance every day. It's been incredible. It started off deep freezers, and then it was fridges, and then it was bread makers, and, like, what the fuck is it going to be this time next week? 
It's going to be like, uh, to- yeah, toasters, exercise bikes. Man, I really don't like the media. I'll tell you what, the one thing I saw from the media this week on Twitter, and it was today, was Michael Rowland, who's the ABC Breakfast, I think, male presenter there. <laughs> yeah, yeah was- And he, he went to a commercial shop in Sydney somewhere and took a photo of commercial-sized toilet rolls. You know those massive fucking things? Yeah, yeah. They don't fit on a domestic one in a house. They, they're those massive ones. They're 300 metres long. Yeah. He says, oh, look how much they charge for these. Like 60 bucks for a pack of eight. And you go, yeah, when you see it's 300 metres per roll, you go, that's actually round about what they are worth. Yeah, but somebody he was trying actually... to make it out like they were, like they were um, price gouging. They're trying to make price even money gouging. out of these toilet rolls. going, no, nah, that's like 2.4 kilometres worth of toilet paper, mate. 60 bucks is about spot on. <laughs> yeah, I saw somebody did the math and they were like, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's a it's in the ballpark, you know? It's not in a, the price gouging range. Um, you know, the other thing that got me during the... While we're talking about this sort of thing, the uh, hordes of, of people that were jumping onto buses and going <laughs> to regional centres. And, and I'm like, is there any, like evidence of this anywhere and i was i got sent a couple of pictures and one was of an empty bus and one was of looking into a similar sort of bus and the people were sort of covering their face and i'm like hang on a second supposedly this is a mini bus full of people that went and filled and just cleaned out a whole shopping center and no one's got a picture of it like anyone pushing a trolley to the bus of this bus full of like you know, all of these products. It it just made no sense. And then I saw a a journalist had actually rang up a couple of places that they said that were were involved. And it turned out that it hadn't happened. Yeah. Imagine our surprise. Yeah. Just fake news. And then there was that, uh, that post that had been shared around Facebook. Somebody had made a fake Facebook account and put a a lady's face on there and said that she was looking to recruit people to do that sort of thing. And it turned out it was completely fake, but that had been like spread around as well. That's what we're saying. Like don't, don't fall for any of this stuff. It's all, it's all garbage. It's like there was a story on Sydney radio a couple of weeks ago that they were saying someone was stabbed over toilet paper and it turned out it was complete bullshit. Tell you what though, if someone's recruiting someone to do that sort of stuff, I would so jump on board with it and just go, yeah, I'll do it, and then go along there and just lock the bus. As soon as everyone got off, they went to the shop, they bought all the stuff, and then I'd just lock the bus, and then I'd pull the battery out of it, and then I'd walk off. What about, right, somebody says, hey, hey, 1000 bucks, one day's work, we're going to hit like three different towns. Are you in? And you go, yeah. And you get on the bus, and I say, right, Next stop, Tamworth. <laughs> and then you, you bring Tamworth, Tamworth ahead and say, I'm coming up with a bus full of the best gear you're ever going to get. We know what I would do. Tell them what oh. depot you're going to and just yeah. see all of Tamworth there in the car park waiting. There's They're in here, people. guys. All the teenagers hanging out in the car park smoking probably cigarettes and uh just <laughs> see that well so, censored yeah smoking cigarettes and just hanging out because there's nothing to do because tamworth is already shut 
at about 6 p.m. But you know what I would do? If I was on that bus, I would ring up the highway patrol and I'd say, you know what, there's a mini bus full of people going up the M1 and you've got to stop it because it's a bunch of drug mules. Just stop it before it gets anywhere close to Tamworth, please, and just take them away because I would not want to be going to Tamworth. Uh, these are ideas, people. Yeah. Uh, we've been bloody informative today. We have. We've been good, Andrew. Um, episode 145, and we're still hitting home runs. Look at that. Yeah. Um, we're going to ask people again. We we asked you what we should do for episode 100, and we barely got a response. So mm. we're going to ask again. You've got another chance here. What should we do for episode 150? Yeah. Also, what should we do on our one-year anniversary episode? Because that is coming up in five, six days' time. Oh, really? Wow, that's so mm. cool. What should we do? Two big events, people. What are we going to do? Yeah. Hit us up on via the email. Okay, email us at... Podcast at com. Beautiful. Or you can send us a uh, send us a tweet at FergoFreakPod. Um, hit us up on there. Let us know what you think we should do. Mm. Obviously, yeah, be creative. good suggestions. Yeah. Don't be dickheads about it. Yeah, we're not going to do some weird shit. Nah. No, we're not going to go to effort. No, like, yeah, it's got to be something we can do sitting in a chair. Yeah. <laughs> With our pants on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make that clear. You know what? I just heard bloody Julie and Katie just go, ah. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. You guys are no fun anymore. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this one up. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we will catch you in episode 146.